if you knew you only had one day left to live, what would you do with that? What, what would come to your mind? How would you live your last day? What, what would you do? Where would you go? Who would be the people that you would want to surround yourself with? What comes to my mind is, what would I want to eat? Right? Important questions like that. Skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, going 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu is not really on my bucket list. It might be on yours, but it's not on mine. But I could come up with a bucket list if I knew I only had 24 hours left. I could make a list of the places I'd want to go, the people I'd want to be with, the things that I'd want to do, and most certainly the things that I'd want to eat. I bet you could come up with a, a bucket list too if you knew that this was it for you. I bet you've thought about that maybe from time to time. Even right now, you can probably, if you're not already, thinking about where you'd want to go, who you'd want to be with, what you would want to do, what you would want to eat. We've got a Bible today, and I hope you do. Let's turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 13. John 13 is the beginning of the last day of Jesus' life before he'll go to the cross to pay for my sin and for your sin. And while I doubt that any of us here in this room this morning know when our last 24 hours is, Jesus knew. He knew. He's got less than 24 hours to live. And what I want us to see today in John chapter 13 is this. What was on his mind? What was in his heart? What was on his agenda in the final moments of his last day? Over the last four to five weeks here at Grace Life, we've been really turning our hearts toward this. We want to know Jesus better, right? And I don't know that there's any better way to know Jesus than to take the time that we have between now and Easter and really focus in on some of the important moments of his last day. And so that's the journey that we're going to go on beginning today. Today we want to go with Jesus to the upper room. Then, then we want to go with Jesus into the garden. Then we want to go with Jesus into the courtyard outside Caiaphas's home. Then we want to go with Jesus to the palace where he stands before Pilate. And then for our Good Friday service, we'll go with Jesus to the cross. And I hope that you've already marked off your calendar for our annual Good Friday service, which is always a blessing and a joy and very, very special time together. So please, if you haven't marked that off, you're not going to want to miss that. I promise you that. So tonight, today, we're in the upper room, and I want us to see on this last day what was on Jesus's mind, what was in his heart, what was on his agenda. First, let's look at what was on Jesus's mind. As we look at John chapter 13, I think there's four things that we see that were on the mind of Jesus. The first is this, his destiny. His destiny. As he's there in that upper room with his disciples, his destiny is on his mind. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew. He knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. Jesus knew that his destiny would lead him to this Passover. 
He knew all along that it would lead him to this room. He had known that for all of eternity he had known that. The Passover celebration was a, and still is, an annual time for the Jewish people to reflect back on when they were slaves in Egypt and what God did to deliver his people out of slavery. That God had commanded them to take a perfect, a spotless lamb and to, to take the life of that lamb and to put the blood of that lamb on the wooden door frames vertically and horizontally over their homes. So that night in Egypt when the death angel came over and God poured out his judgment against Egypt, when he, that angel would see that the blood of that lamb had been applied to that home, then that wrath of God would pass over that family and they would be saved. The Bible says that Jesus is our lamb, that he was slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was a world, Jesus and his destiny had already been set, already been determined. And the destiny of Jesus on this last day of his life is unchangeable, unalterable. The rise and fall of countless kings and kingdoms throughout human history could do nothing to change Jesus' date with destiny. He is, think about this, the eternal Timeless Jesus. And yet on this Thursday evening, he is watching the sun go down. And he knows. The eternal, timeless one knows. His hour has come. But I want you to see that his destination is not only unchangeable in regards to this day and to what's going to happen there at the cross. He, he knows that, but he knows something else too. Look at verse 1 again. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. Look, he knows what's going to happen over the next several hours, the next 16 hours or so. He knows how he's going to suffer. He knows the agony that he's going to endure. He knows how awful it's going to be. He knows everything that's going to happen. And he knows that by far the worst part's not the nails the worst part's not the flogging that he'll take on his back. The worst part is that he is going to suffer under the wrath of his father for your sin and for my sin. God is going to be pouring out his judgment against sin on his son, Jesus. Jesus knows that the most excruciating thing about everything that he's about to experience isn't the physical, it's the spiritual. It's the fact and the reality that his father, for the first time and only time in all of eternity, is going to turn his back. On his son, and will not be able to look upon him and our sin, your sin, my sin, that will be on Jesus in that moment. Jesus knew all of that, but he also knew, look at the text, that he would return to his father. He, his destiny is on his mind. He knows that the redemptive plan of God is not going to be stopped. Yes, Jesus, the man in human flesh, he's going to struggle under the weight of all of this, but his mind is made up. He will carry the cross. He will endure. He will complete the work. He will because he knows that his father will raise him up on the third day and seat him at his right hand. Jesus knows that his destiny is what's on his mind. On his last day. If you want to know what was on his mind, that's it. But not only was his destiny on his mind, but his disciples were also on his mind. Look at the second part of verse 1. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. 
his last day. And his disciples are on his mind. The Bible says here he loved his disciples during his ministry. If you know anything about those disciples during the ministry of Jesus, they weren't very stellar. Right? They were just downright knuckleheads at times. Blew it. Just goofy and immature so often. And yet the Bible says that Jesus loved them during all of that. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. I don't know about you, but I take away great comfort from that. That if he could love them, he certainly can love me because I'm my own knucklehead at times. And I know that you are as well. There were times that those guys just needed a good thumping all the way across Galilee. And yet the Bible says he loved them during all of that. Not only does it say that he loved them up to this point, it says, and now he loved them to the very end. And that's probably even more stunning because of what we know they're about to do. They're about to run away. They're about to deny him, to curse that they even would know him. They're about to run in fear and his mind is made up, he's still going to love them anyway. He still loved them even when they ran, even when they betrayed him, even while he hung on the cross. He still loved them. His devotion to them was unshakable. And let me remind you today, today, if you're a child of God, his devotion to you today is also unshakable. You've deserved a thumping across central Alabama. So have I. But he still loves us. He loves us. His faithfulness to us is far greater than all of our failures. That's what was on his mind on the last day. His destiny, his disciples, third thing on his mind, his defector. There was a defector among them. Look at the text, verse 2. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. See, something unseen by human eyes was happening in the heart of Judas, something that none of us would be able to see was happening between Judas and Satan. They were conspiring together against Jesus. Outwardly, Judas looked like he was a follower of Jesus. But that was only outward. There was no interchange. He was counterfeit. You know, maybe today, up to this point in your life, you've lived outwardly like a follower of Jesus. But it's just not real. The heart hasn't really been changed. You haven't truly been born again. The good news for you, if that's you today, it's not too late. You're here. And you're hearing the word preached. And maybe even right now, you're sensing the Holy Spirit working in your heart to draw you to be changed. On the inside. To be saved. Jesus was fully aware of every thought and every word that had been passed between Satan and Judas. That was on his mind. His destiny, his disciples, his defector. The fourth thing that was on his mind was his dominion. His dominion. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over, you see that next word? Everything. That word in the Greek means everything. The Father 
had given Jesus authority over everything. He knew that, and he knew that he had come from God, and he knew that he would return from God. Listen, if I'm a Jefferson County deputy, and God help our law enforcement officers in these days that we live in, I would not want to be one of them, and I am thankful for them. But if I were, let's say, a Jefferson County deputy today, I have no jurisdiction to patrol the streets in the city of Tuscaloosa. If I'm a law enforcement officer for the city of Tuscaloosa, I have no jurisdictions to patrol the roads of Jefferson County. It's not my jurisdiction. My jurisdiction has boundaries and borders. But Jesus' jurisdiction is limitless. No boundaries. No borders. His dominion has no limitations on it. You know why? Because the Bible just said his father had given him all authority over everything. And as Jesus enters into this last day of his life before the cross, Jesus knows full well that he has all authority over everything. Every Roman soldier, every act of betrayal, every person that will be on that hillside that day, every molecule between us and the most far away galaxy, Jesus has all authority over that. And by the way, if I'm reading these words, this story for the very first time, I'm thinking to myself, I know what's about to happen. He knows what's in the heart of Judas and he's got all authority. Brace yourself. He's about to rain down lightning bolts in this upper room, right? He's about to smite these suckers, especially Judas, because Jesus has all authority. He's about to flex. That's what I would be thinking if I'm reading this for the first time. He's about to flex all that authority on Judas, right? He's about to flex all that authority on Satan. He's about to flex all that authority on the religious leaders and on Rome. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does because of what's in his heart. So we've seen what's on his mind, but what's in his heart What's in Jesus' heart is this, selfless love. That's what's in his heart. Instead of raining down lightning bolts, he picks up a towel. Verse 4 says he got up from the table. He took off his robe. Wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. What's he doing? He's God, he's king, he has all authority by him. And through him, all things have been made. And all things hold together. What is he doing? What he's doing is he's revealing what's in his heart. Love is what's in his heart. And I want you to see the story within the story here. Don't miss this. He got up from the table, the Bible says. Reminding us of how he got up from his throne in glory laid aside his position of prominence at that table, laid aside his position of prominence there in heaven, took off his robe 
As he did in heaven when he took off his glory, set it aside, wrapped a a, a towel around his waist in that upper room like he wrapped himself in human flesh to step into this world. And he pours water into a basin. Just like in a few hours, he's going to pour his blood out to wash us clean of sin. The other gospel writers tell us that just before this moment, there was this big argument that broke out among Jesus' disciples. Because apparently somebody had overlooked the very important detail that we got to have a lowly servant in this room to wash our feet before we eat. That would usually be the least ranking servant that would have that job. But there is no such person in the room. And while his disciples argue back and forth, the Son of God gets up, takes off his robe, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, and starts scooting around the floor, going foot to foot. And you can imagine the embarrassment and the shame and the shock that filled that room as Jesus just keeps scooting himself and the water and the basin from person to person, including Judas, by the way. It's a selfless love. It's a love that's not only selfless, but it's a love that's a serving love. He said from the very beginning that he had not come To be served. He had come to serve. And to give his life. As a ransom for many. And even after three and a half years. His disciples still haven't figured this out. They still haven't learned how to follow this example. They're too busy arguing about who among them is the best. Who among them is the greatest, but the greatest one in the room is the one with the towel around his waist. Washing feet without saying anything. This is love. And that's what's in the heart of Jesus. Selfless love. Serving love. But that's all pointing to a greater love, and that's a saving love. Look at verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter... Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. The disciples don't know what to say in this moment, but that's never stopped Peter, has it? Peter says, we're not doing this, Jesus. You're not going to wash my feet. I I can see Peter sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor with his robe tucked in down below his toes, sitting on top of that, just bowed up going, this is not happening. He's probably realized now he missed the opportunity to follow the example that Jesus had set over the course of those three and a half years, and now he's embarrassed And now he feels out of place. 
He says, Jesus, this is not going to happen. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't get it now, but soon you're going to understand. I have to cleanse you for you to belong to me. If I don't wash you, you can't be mine. Listen, he's not talking about dirt and water anymore, is he? That's not what he's talking about now. Jesus is pointing us to the way people are made right with God. And he's saying to Peter, Peter, you can't do this yourself. Nobody can make themselves right with God. We come to God just as we are. The point that Jesus is making is, Peter, there's no other way for you to have a relationship with me, for me and you to be in fellowship, than for me to clean you, for me to wash you. You can't do that for yourself. Peter doesn't want Jesus to humble himself to a basin, but he does not know that in a few hours Jesus is going to humble himself to a cross with not even so much as a towel to cover himself with. And Jesus will do that for Peter. So wash him clean. He'll do that for you and for me. To wash our sin away so that we can know him. To be in a relationship with him. Love is what's on Jesus' heart. This selfless, serving, saving love. It's also a sanctifying love. Sanctifying means it's a changing love. It's a cleansing love. It's a transforming love. Peter doesn't get it, right? He still thinks we're talking about dirt. We're still talking about water. So he tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, listen, all right, then. If this is what, it, if this is what it's going to take, then hose me down. Right? I can almost see Peter just standing in the basin, just going, just pour it all on me. Don't even worry about the rest of these chumps in the room. This this is me, just head to toe, Jesus, just bring it. Look at the text, verse 9. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean. But not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. See, we're not talking about dirt now. We're not talking about water now. Eleven of the twelve didn't need a bath. They just needed some touch-up. They just needed their feet to be washed. That's good. Here's what he's telling Peter. Peter, you're already saved. You don't have to be saved again. By grace through faith, you've already been washed. You don't have to be washed again. Listen, if you're a child of God today and you've been saved, there's never going to be a day that you have to be saved again. Once he's washed you clean of your sin, you don't have to be washed clean of that sin again. But there will be, as God's people, times in our life that we'll need some touch-up. Because as we walk through life, have you found this to be true? Even children of God still step in sin. Sometimes we step in it and we didn't mean to, but we do. And sometimes we mean to. And we don't just step in it. Sometimes we just camp out in it. And Jesus says, I don't have to wash you all over again. 
but I want to clean you. He makes us this promise that if we'll confess our sin, he's what? He's faithful and he's just to cleanse us of our sin from all unrighteousness. You don't need another bath. You don't need to be saved again, Peter. You just need forgiveness. Ongoing as God's people until we're face to face with him, we will need that forgiveness. That's what's on Jesus' heart. It's love. It's selfless love and serving love and saving love and sanctifying love. So we've seen what's on his mind. We've seen what's on his heart. Last, what's on his agenda? It's his last day. You know he's got an agenda. You would have an agenda. What's on his agenda? Look at the text, verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again. And he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's, that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. There's his agenda. On his last day, the agenda of Jesus was to set an example. To show us how to live every day. Not just the last day. That's his agenda. Even when the world is about to come crashing in on you, keep serving. Even when those closest to you abandon you, keep serving. Even when somebody turns their back and betrays you, just keep serving. He says in verse 16, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you. He'll bless you for doing them. Jesus has this agenda to set an example so they will know how to walk in the blessing of God. He says, God will bless you if you'll do this. Listen, everybody in that room wanted to be great. Everybody in this room wants to be great. And this may shock you to hear this, but the desire to be great is not a sin. Do you know why we have that in us all, that we want greatness? Jesus put that in us. He created each of us with a desire to be great. Where the desire for greatness goes off the rails is when we want greatness as the world defines greatness and not the way God defines greatness. That's where it all goes wrong. We are created to desire greatness, but sin has bent us to desire the wrong kind of greatness. Not the kind of greatness that God created us to desire to have. He wants us all to be great, and he says, this is how you become great in my kingdom. You do for each other what I just did for you. That's what greatness looks like. 
in the kingdom of God. The greatest king did that. And he says, if you're going to follow me, and you're going to follow me in the path of greatness, then you do what I just did. You walk away from your positions of prominence. You take off your robes of recognition, and you humble yourself and serve. Serve other people. Yes, your Judases are going to betray you. Serve them anyway. Your Simon Peters are going to deny you. Serve them anyway. Your Thomases are going to doubt you. Serve them anyway. You need some motivation to do that? Because that's pretty hard to do, isn't it? You need some motivation? He figured you would. That's why he gave us verse 17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. How do you release those blessings from heaven? He just told you. You love with a love that's selfless. You love others with a love that's a serving love. You love other people with a sacrificing love, without any thought for personal gain, personal fulfillment, personal satisfaction. And God will bless your life. What what kind of blessing are we talking about here, Pastor? The kind of blessing that the world can't offer. We're not talking about dollar amounts or automobiles or anything that the world would measure as a blessing. We're talking about something far greater than that. When you and I live every day like Jesus lived his last day, we're going to be blessed by heaven. And the blessing that we're going to receive when you and I live every day like Jesus lived his last day is this. The gospel will be seen in us and Jesus will be glorified through us. And that's the greatest blessing that a human being on, on planet earth could ever know. To be a walking, breathing, living illustration of the love of God. A walking, breathing, living sermon of the gospel. Of the kind of love that God has loved us with. When we live every day like that, God gets the glory and we get the joy. That is the greatest blessing. Far and away that heaven could ever pour out on us. So, let's live today. And tomorrow. And every day, like it's his last day. Let's live it the way he did. Let's be about towels and not about titles. Let's be about people and not about prominence. Let's be about giving instead of taking. Let's live this day. And every day, like Jesus lived the last day. God, help us to do that. There's a restlessness in a lot of our souls. Because we want to be great by the standard of the world. We're fighting and clawing to one-up somebody else. 
to have more, to attain more, to do more, to achieve more than somebody else. And all the while, Jesus, you've set the example of what true greatness in the kingdom of heaven looks like, what true greatness in your eyes looks like. It's a towel. basin and water and a floor and dirt and grime and awkwardness. It's stepping into that like you stepped into it, Jesus. That's where true greatness lies. And Jesus, we want to know you more. That's been our heart's desire over these weeks. So today we want to listen and hear you scooting across the floor as you serve. We want to hear the sound of dripping water off nasty feet into a basin. We want to see your hands scrubbing dirt and grime and making clean. It's in these things, God, that we come to know you better. We want to behold it and we want to become that. We want to behold that kind of love and we want to demonstrate that kind of love. We want to behold that kind of service and we want to live that kind of service. God, help us to do that. Help your church, the body of Christ, to do what the body of Christ has done. So that you, Jesus, and your gospel and your love would be seen in us and through us for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand and let's worship the Lord. Listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to your heart. What what doesn't look like Jesus in your life? Hand that over to him today. Would you find your place on the floor? Would you find your towel? Would you find your place of need and start serving?